which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands. Concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we're simply asking that your spirit would open our hearts and open our minds, that we would receive your message this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So last weekend, we concluded our series on the Sabbath. We had four messages speaking specifically on different uh, different angles of the Sabbath. And so if you want to see those, you can go on our website and check out the uh, media page and you can find all of those sermon videos. But today we transition to a new series on the epistle of 1 John. And so for the next five weeks, consecutive weeks, we will be looking at each chapter of 1 John. And so today is 1 John chapter 1. And by the end of the series, we should be able to see a big theme, the main theme of this particular epistle, which is very pastoral uh, to uh, the group in Asia Minor, group of believers. John begins this epistle by somewhat of an introduction, um, not full, but he begins this epistle, which was written in the first and second century, or the latter half of the first century into the second. And he was writing to a group of believers in Asia Minor, and there was a problem. And the problem was many false teachers had arisen. After Christ had resurrected and ascended, the message of Christianity began to spread like wildfire. We read the book of Acts and we see what was happening. But in the midst of that, false teachers began to come up 
and mix philosophical teachings with the teachings of Christianity. So a number of believers began to get confused. Specifically, one group that arose was the Gnostics. It's called Gnosticism. And they believed that only a small group of people were able to hold the interpretation of Scripture, that it was secret, and only certain people who had reached a level of enlightenment could understand and interpret it. They also believed that holiness was this pursuit and attainment of knowledge. And so there would be a point where you have arrived. And even their understanding of sin and of salvation was very different contrary to the Christian teachings. And so, one of the reasons John begins his letter by describing his experience with Christ through a very physical lens, through his physical senses, was because one heresy or one error that was being spread was that Christ was only spirit and not human flesh. So John writes, that which we have seen with our eyes, which we have touched, which we have heard, we proclaim to you. So that people would know Christ came as a human being. And so, as he continues, he begins to lay out for these, for these believers in Asia Minor some key principles to illustrate for them a, a criteria, some criteria by which they could evaluate others and themselves. To see, uh, an evaluation to see if they were walking in the truth or the light, which we'll hear more of. So despite John being away from the church, he extends this invitation, this invitation to fellowship with him, but also with the Father and the Son. And he, he will describe how this happens as we continue on. So, go ahead and look. If you have your Bibles with me, I'm looking at verse 5. Verse 5, and it says this. It says, This is the message which we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. I love that. In fact, I love this whole first portion of 1 John chapter 1. But let's think about light. It said, God is light. One of the main qualities of light is that Light reveals things, whereas darkness hides them, okay? Light reveals things, darkness hides them. When we want to see something more clearly, we shine more light on it. We even have sayings, shine a little light on it, right? When I was uh, probably a junior in undergrad, my first car that I had was a Chevy Malibu, a beat-up 0201 Chevy Malibu, and it stopped kicking one day. And so I had to transition to another vehicle. So we went on this big search, my mom and I and, and some family members. And one day as we were looking, we um, found this car, this black Toyota Camry, I think it was a 05 or 06, nice. But I'm sure you've probably heard this, don't buy a car in the evening. <laughs> a used car at that, right? 
Don't go looking for cars in the evening. Well, we'd been looking during the day, but obviously the sun set, et cetera. It became late, and we decided to try one more place. And so we arrive at this house, black Toyota Camry, in great condition, clean. We take it for a ride, drives good. Everything looked good. So we buy the car. The following morning, I get home, or I wake up, I'm excited, go look at the car, and I'm doing kind of a 360 walk around the car, and I see this big dent on the left side of the car. And I'm like, I know I looked at this yesterday, but it was pretty dark outside. So fortunately, we call the guy, we straighten it out with him, we figure it out. But there's a reason why you don't look at cars in the, in the nighttime. <laughs> Because more things are revealed in the light. You see clearly in the light. The revealing nature of light is, I imagine, one of the main reasons why the Bible defines God as light. Because God reveals. God reveals things. All the cracks and crevices, all the nooks and crannies of an imperfect life are revealed in the light of God. And for most of us, this is not ideal, and it's extremely uncomfortable. A large portion of humanity and systems of society, they exist and they even thrive in secrecy. Look at verse 6. It says, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. First point to note, it is impossible to genuinely, truly have deep fellowship with God while also maintaining shadows or dark spaces in your life. Let me say that one more time. It is impossible to genuinely, truly have a deep, intimate fellowship with God while still maintaining shadows, dark spaces, or secret compartments in your life. We often compartmentalize ourselves. We let God into some spaces of our lives and others we reserve for ourselves. Relationships, our career, our goals, our pursuits, our passions, some are for us and some are for God. But having fellowship with God, or rather allowing God into a shared experience with you is really an act of vulnerability. You open everything up to the light. Now, does God have to be in every space of your life? No. You can choose that. God's light will shine in your life as much as you allow it to. Only as much as you allow it to. But if you are seeking depth, if you are seeking transformation, if you're seeking true fellowship with God, it will be impossible if you maintain dark spaces in your life. 
There are certain spaces where the light of God wants to shine, but we often keep them in the shadows. Look at verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. It says, but if we walk in the light. What does it mean to walk in the light? What does it mean to have fellowship with God? The two phrases are actually synonymous in this passage, to walk in the light and to have fellowship with God. This is what it is not. Walking in the light or having fellowship with God is not a call to perfection. Walking in the light or having fellowship with God is not a call to be perfect. And that's important. When I was about 11 and a half, almost 12, I was baptized. And um, after a series of lessons, there was a big meeting, and, and, and I gave my life to the Lord. And I thought, and, I, and people still think this today, I thought that after baptism, that meant I was supposed to be perfect. No more mistakes. I pull my halo out. I do everything right. That is incorrect, friends. That is incorrect. And what actually that thinking, what that did, was it actually made me hide my deficiencies, hide my mistakes to maintain a picture of what I thought walking with God was supposed to mean. I ended up trying to maintain a false facade of myself, holy on the outside, but decaying on the inside. The Pharisees of Jesus' day, he called them whitewashed tombs, whitewashed sepulchers, because they appeared holy and beautiful on the outside, but inside there was no life, just dead bones in them. Their actions appeared holy, but they would not allow the rays of God's light to shine in their hearts. Point to take home. Having fellowship with God is not a call to perfection. It's a call to a journey of truth. It's a call to a journey of truth. When God begins to shine light on the dark spaces in your life, your relationships, your habits, even your life philosophies, things that you think or believe that may be backwards, when he reveals the truth about yourself, things that are not so pretty and pleasant, there is the crossroads. What do you do? What do you do? Do you acknowledge it or do you hide it? In order to have fellowship with God, in order to walk in the light, 
we must acknowledge that which has been revealed when God shines light upon it. For many, this is the scary part. This is the part that's the most difficult. Because our practice as, as humans, as human beings, we like to appear as more than what we really are. And that, and because of that, it makes it difficult to acknowledge any weaknesses, any mistakes, any imperfections in our lives. And as soon as we get to this crossroads, this decision, here's where John, the writer of the epistle, jumps in with good news, okay? He says, look, if you want to walk in the light, want to have fellowship with God, he says, you will not only have fellowship with us, with each other, those who also are walking in the light, but he says, the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So when God shines the light on that thing, you say, ah, I see it. Here, God, take it. Take it. Look at verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. God already provided a solution for our sins and our deficiencies. He died on the cross. But if we refuse to acknowledge them, our denial not only makes us a liar, it makes God a liar too. The book of James, I believe it's either chapter one or chapter two, it talks about a man speaking about the law, the Ten Commandments, the law of liberty. It talks about a man who goes to a mirror, looks in the mirror, sees that he's got all this stuff on his face, and then he turns around and walks away. We must acknowledge and not deny, okay? Therefore, and if we deny, it not only makes us a liar, it makes God a liar as well. A denial of the truth about ourselves keeps us stagnant in our spiritual life. Don't miss that point. We could go to church for years and not grow with God. Our spiritual life remains stagnant, remains paused. In fact, it will even start regressing if we don't acknowledge that which God shines his light on in our lives. In short, if you want to walk in the light, if you want to walk in fellowship with God, it's very simple. It's nothing extremely deep or profound, but here it is. You need to be honest. You need to be honest. Not perfect, honest. You need to take an honest look at yourself and say, okay, I see it. 
I see it now, God. Not perfect, but honest. Why? Look at verse 9 and 10. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. It says, because if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. However, it is hard to have fellowship with someone who is not honest. Have you ever tried to have a friendship with someone who is not honest? <laughs> Amos 3.3 says, can two walk together unless they be agreed? Our role as believers is not to pretend that we're perfect. Seriously, we are <laughs> a group of sinners in a building. <laughs> and we all need God. We are not to pretend that we're perfect, but to acknowledge and confess our sins and shortcomings to Jesus Christ. Jesus deals with the hard part. He deals with the sin. He gives the forgiveness. He covers with his blood. He died on the cross. He does it, he does it, he does it. What do you do? What do I do? We come. We be honest. And even then, no one moves towards God without the promptings of the Holy Spirit. You literally are lifting the smallest weight. The thing is to get over our pride. And you can also pray for help of that too. Basically, it seems the only way one would not have fellowship with God is if they were not honest. Fellowship with God is not an ascent to higher heights or an enlightenment as the Gnostics thought. Fellowship with God is an honest descent, an acknowledgement of the truth the truth about yourself, and the truth about God. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. There's a story in 2 Samuel chapter 12, and I'm sure you guys know this story, I won't assume, but great story, the life of King David. And David did a lot of uh, tragic and horrible things in his life, and this was one of those occasions. He saw a woman bathing next door, her name was Bathsheba, and he wanted her for himself, but he knew that she was married after he inquired, and so he called her husband back to uh, Jerusalem and, you know, treated him, etc., and then sent him out to war in the front lines where he knew he would die so David could have his wife. And Uriah does die, and he takes Bathsheba into his home. And it wasn't immediately after 
some time had passed, where Nathan the prophet was sent to David. And so Nathan, the prophet sent by God, begins telling this parable, this story to David. He's like, David, I, I have a story for you. There was a man who had many flocks of sheep, herds of animals, cattle, etc., very rich of li in livestock. And then there was another man, his neighbor, who was very poor. And he had one ewe lamb. And he loved that lamb. The family loved that lamb. They fed that lamb. The lamb slept in the bed with them, ate in the house. Just that one lamb. And the king, or the rich man next door, he wanted to throw a feast. And he needed a lamb. So instead of taking a, from his flock of plenty, he takes the man's next door, the only one lamb. He slays it, kills it, and eats it. And David is like, what? I can't believe this. This is an outrage. He should die. And Nathan is like, you're the man. You're the man. You're the man, David. There's the crossroad. Now what does David do? After light is shined, after it's shown that God already knows what you've done, David, now what's your next move? Do you hide it or do you open it up to the light? And so David writes his repentance in Psalm 51, which you can read. And he airs it out. And I'm sure he said to himself, I'm sure those words rang in his head, I'm the man. I'm the man. He didn't deny it. He didn't justify it. He didn't sugarcoat it. He said, I'm the man. Now, David, there were consequences, severe repercussions for that. His kingdom was in shambles after that experience. He did pay. But what he did do is he chose to remain in the light. He chose to remain in fellowship with God. And that's a grievous story. But David knew that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is how we continue to walk in the light. When it shined on something, we don't hide it, we reveal it. We reveal it to God. We let, we let it like a sore. You got to let it breathe. Instead of hiding it like we tend to do, open it up to the light. Fellowship with God is not a walk of perfection. It's a walk of truth. And so here in the epistle of 1 John, John the apostle invites us to walk in the light, to have fellowship with God. 
Is that your desire? I pray that is also your prayer and experience.